following is a presentation of WYM, Westminster Youth Ministry. Oftentimes, we can use statements that aren't meant to be taken literally. This is the use of hyperbole. In this series called Mic Drop, we are going to look at those mic drop moments where Jesus uses hyperbole for the purpose of getting a point across. Throughout this series, we will look at these statements and ask, what did Jesus say? And what is Jesus teaching us? We hope you enjoy. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time that we can come and enjoy a meal together and also sit in your word together. I do pray that you would be with us and help us to pay attention and to learn and to grow from your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so some of you all have met a guy named Joe Deegan. He is the guy that led worship at some of our summer trips over the past couple years. He wrote a book called The Power of Story, and he sets up a scenario for us. He says, Imagine for a moment that Jesus is sitting down in the circle with you and your friends. Everyone takes their turn in the hot seat, and then all eyes turn to him. Jesus smiles, clears his throat, and says, I want to tell you my story. But I want to start at the very beginning, and it's going to take a long time to tell this story, and you'll learn many lessons. You'll be taught many truths, and you'll be given much instruction. But most important of all, than anything else, you will know me. That's the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. He hovers over every page and we see him there or not. It's all one grand narrative that ties together the thread of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Throughout the broken, beautiful history of God's people, it's quite frankly the greatest story that's ever been told. And every other great story in the world finds its roots in the scriptures. So there's a lot of great stories that we read. I'm currently reading the Chronicles of Narnia again. Well, I say again, I started it many years ago and stopped. So I'm picking up at the beginning and I'm starting over and my goal is to get through it again. Uh, But there's lots of great stories. Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, the Odyssey, Star Wars, the Berenstein Bears. But what are some other great stories that y'all like? Green Eggs and Ham, that's a great story. Okay. The Catechisms, okay. There's lots of great stories out there and... Quite honestly, one of my favorite things about stories is when there's great redemptive themes in a story that can lead us back to what God is doing here on this earth and in His Word. As amazing as the storytelling may be in the books that we read or the movies that we watch, as thought-provoking as the conclusions may be, and as great as the character development might be, they all pale in comparison to the story of the Bible. I think a lot of times we think the Bible might be a little bit boring, But I encourage you to read the Bible because it is full of stories that are super interesting and there's some juicy parts where crazy stuff happens. But we tend to want to go to those other stories, but there's a beautiful story that we have that we often neglect. God has worked throughout time to unveil that story and the climax of that story is the story of Jesus, the greatest story that could ever be told. And Today, we're going to consider the conclusion of the Gospels. We're going to be right at the end of the Gospel of John. And again, while this hyperbole is not said by Jesus himself, it's said about him. So here's what we're going to look at tonight if you're taking notes. Jesus has given us just a small portion of his life story, but the best is yet to come. Jesus has given us just a small portion of his life story, but the best is yet to come. So we're going to start by reading. I'm going to invite Caitlin up here to read John chapter 21, verses 21 through 25. 
said to Jesus, What about this one? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the same spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and you know that his testimony is true. That there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every other of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. So Jesus just appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. They'd gone back to their work as fishermen, and he meets them on the shore and cooks breakfast. And there's this beautiful picture where Peter, the guy that had just denied Jesus, is given a great redemption. Like God essentially gives him three times to apologize for the three times that he denied him. And Jesus meets him with grace all three times. And it's this beautiful picture of Jesus forgiving Peter for what he had done. And as John is concluding this gospel, he picks up on this interaction with Peter. Okay? Peter's just heard about his eventual death right before this. We didn't read this part, but Jesus talks about Peter's death, and it's going to be a brutal one. Peter did not die in a very desirable way. He was crucified upside down. And crucifixions are uncomfortable. I can't imagine that an upside down crucifixion would be any more comfortable. But Jesus essentially says, you're going to die for my sake, Peter. You are going to die. You're going to go forth. You're going to spread my word throughout the world, and you're going to die because of it. And Jesus essentially tells him not to worry about such things, but simply go forth. Go forth with the mission. Verse 23, so the saying spread among all the brothers that this disciple, this is talking about John here, was not to die. John was the only one of the disciples that died naturally. All the other disciples were martyred. They were stabbed with spears. They were crucified, crucified upside down. All sorts of awful deaths. John was the only one that would actually survive. And there's a reason for that, because God was not done with John. He would go on to write more books of the Bible. But in 23, he talks about this disciple is not yet to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. For it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? So we know that Jesus hadn't come back yet. So obviously, he didn't come back in John's lifetime. But he's speaking hypothetically here to get... Peter's mind in the right place. He wants Peter to focus on going forth and teaching people. So when we get to verse 24, John essentially says that the one that Jesus was talking about, that was me. John's writing here. This is me. I'm writing all this down so that future generations might know just how amazing Jesus is. So coming off of that, we have this extreme statement where John says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain all the books that were written. So if we took that extreme statement literally, what would that mean? That's a lot of books, right? Hence, books on books on books on books. That means the entire atmosphere would be full of books and then some. Okay, That's a lot of books. Now, do you think that one person's life story could fit in every one of those books? No, right? It's hyperbole. It's an extreme statement to get us to think about just how much Jesus did. Okay, and John's actually pointing out something really interesting here. We don't have all of Jesus' data. We don't have all the things that he did. Okay? We just have a small portion of it. But 
But how cool is it that, that Jesus did more than what we have written down? Like he did all these other amazing things that we don't even know about. But John here stands as a testimony to tell us, hey, all these other things that he did, they were amazing too. And we don't have time to write all this down. It'd be a lot of books. So for a moment, just imagine this picture. If we wrote down in huge font and double-spaced everything, we still could not fill this earth with books. Okay, Think about every single detail. Even if we wrote down every single detail about Jesus' life. Here's an example. Jesus woke up at 7.02. It's a warm day outside. He placed his left foot on the floor and then his right. He stood up, stepped forward with his right foot, and began thinking about breakfast and so on and so on. Even if we did every single detail of his entire life, okay, we probably still couldn't fill this atmosphere with books. But the point is, all these things that Jesus did, they're meant to show us just how amazing and loving and kind he is to us. So we have a limited knowledge of the things that Jesus did here on this earth. Limited in the sense that we don't know everything that he did. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Okay? One commentator writes, With this delightful hyperbole, he lets us see that there's much more about Jesus than we know. It's fitting for us to bring our study of the gospel to a close with a reminder of the limitations of our own knowledge. It is well for us to be appreciative of the knowledge we have and to show due gratitude to God for what he has revealed to us. But we should not exaggerate Our knowledge of the truth is at best partial. The reader who appreciates the significance of these final words is kept humble. So what John is seeking to communicate here at the end of the gospel story is that this is the greatest story that has ever been written. Like so great that we couldn't even continue the story and give it justice. We could write a whole lot more books and it was still pale in comparison to the story that is going on. The Gospel writers didn't include every detail of every episode of Jesus' life, but we can imagine that there were some amazing things that he did. What were some of the amazing things that Jesus did while he was alive? Okay, walked on water. That's pretty cool. I can't do that. What else? Rose from the dead. Yeah, even cooler, right? I definitely can't do that without his help. Fed 5,000 people with a very small amount of food, right? He healed people that were blind. Yes, Susie. Turned water. Yeah, also cool. Turned water into wine. Rose old what's-his-face. I believe believe you're talking about Lazarus. Okay? Old Laz. Okay, he spat on the ground, scooped up some mud from his own spit, wiped it on some dude's eyes, and healed his blindness. That's kind of interesting, right? I can't do that. There's so many things that Jesus did, and we just have a small glimpse of that. But you know what the coolest thing is? The rest of the story, if we believe in Jesus and trust in Him for salvation, and if we quit relying on ourselves and we lean on Him, the best part of the story hasn't even started yet. How cool is that? Because this is the one story that we're invited into And we get to be a part of. I would be very remiss if I didn't quote the end of the Chronicles of Narnia. And C.S. Lewis wraps up the Chronicles of Narnia by saying this. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that had begun to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them down. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that all lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover page and the title. 
Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is a picture of eternity for us right here. The fact that, that John ends the Gospels by saying, we can't even begin to describe all the things that Jesus did, and the story is going to go on for you if you believe in him. That's what Lewis is really getting at there. Like The story hasn't even begun yet. We've just gotten to the cover page. And C.S. Lewis is an amazing storyteller. Like, I can't think of anybody else who's a better storyteller than him. But his ending is communicating a great gospel truth, and it's connected to Jesus' story. And I want to encourage you to think about your place in that story. Okay? Think about your place in that story. We, we don't think about that enough. We often just kind of live life and just kind of go th- robotically through our day and just do what we have to do. But you're part of a story. You're part of God's story. Okay, and this comes through this beautiful truth that we call union with Jesus. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6 for me. We're going to look at Romans 6, 3 through 11. It says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by his baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. There's all this imagery of how we're baptized with him, we are resurrected with him, we are raised with him. That is the union that we have with Jesus, and I know I keep saying this, but the doctrine of union with Jesus is one of the most important things for you to dwell on and think on. The fact that he has made you one with him. You can never do that on your own. There's nothing that you could do to get into union with him. He brought you into union with himself. He made a covenant to do so, and he never breaks those covenants and his promises. So is there anything more encouraging than that for us? This union means that your story, as part of Jesus' story, doesn't end when you die. Your story doesn't end when you die. That's what Lewis was describing. It's just the beginning of the story. Eternity with him is the best part of our story. And the world couldn't contain all the stories of Jesus during his years on this earth. Imagine how the universe can't even begin to think about all the stories that are yet to come. Okay? Jesus has given us just a small portion of that story. And we don't need to neglect our part in that story. We don't need to, to neglect how he invites us into that story. So we're going to head to small groups. Caitlin's going to take all the girls. Is that right? I'll take all the guys in here. The girls will go to the youth room. Guys will stay in here. Let me pray for us, and we'll pack this a little bit more. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these students. I ask that as they begin this new semester, Lord, that you would bless them and watch over them and help them to start the semester well. pray that you would be with us as we unpack this topic of your story. And I just pray that you would help us to leave better here because we've spent time in your word together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. 
please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WIS.